This is the Game Dev Field Guide, bonus episode number 18. Today's special guest, Jaluna Rolick. This episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by our community patrons. Everyone gets this episode free, and it's all thanks to the generosity of the patrons. If you'd like to support the bonus episodes and the show, and get to vote on episode topics for the normal topics of Game Dev Field Guide, in addition to some other things like a special Discord role, I will leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the first segment of the show. The first segment of bonus episodes is a game we play called Buff Debuff. And it's a game where I am presented with short single words or single phrase topics. And I don't do any research and I just kind of say what's on my mind about them. And I'll say if I think it's buffed or trending positive or debuffed which would be something I am not a fan of or something that I think is trending negatively. All of these topics were submitted by community members on the Buff Debuff channel on the community Discord. So if you have a good idea for a topic, just go on over there and uh, submit one. Let's start with our first topic, game design documents. I think game design documents are buffed with one important caveat. If you don't know, and I have talked about this before on a normal episode of Game Dev Field Guide, a game design document is really just a way for you to get all of your thoughts out about how a game is going to work. The actual game loop, ideas about the balance, as well as other things like technical aspects of it and maybe even art style and narrative things. There's a couple good templates out there for game design documents already. I tend to write mine pretty loosely, almost in a bullet point framework. And I do that because I think the one caveat with game design documents is that you don't want them to be too rigid. With a lot of games, um, you find the fun while prototyping and playtesting. And if you make your game design document too rigid and you adhere to those that structure too much, you might ignore the fun of the game. Like, you might have a bug that actually makes your game more fun, but because the bug wasn't described in the game design document, you scrap it or fix it or don't really consider it to be part of the game. You might ignore playtesting data because it doesn't fit within the structure of your game design document, despite the fact that your players, or your playtesters at least, are telling you this is what the game should be. So yeah, I guess overall, game design documents are buffed, Uh, Just make sure they're not too rigid. The next topic is the Game Dev Field Guide. And in my opinion, I'm actually going to start a new qualification. Uh, Game Dev Field Guide is mega buffed. (laughs) Now, there may be some personal bias there, but I do honestly believe that it's one of the best resources for beginner and intermediate game devs uh, because I tried to make it be that. I think if you're a beginner looking for an information-dense show full of advice that you can take action on as soon as you're done listening, 
and go test out uh, on a game engine or something like that, I think this is maybe one of the best resources, or at least that's what I try to make Game Dev Field Guide. I want you to leave with actionable advice related to the topic that that can make you a better game dev um, as soon as you learn it from one of the episodes. So yeah, I hope that's working. I hope that's how this podcast is working for you. Uh, but for me, I'm going to say Game Dev Field Guide is mega buffed with like an asterisk that there may be a, a bias there. <laughs> The next topic is splitting a game into a few different pieces and selling them separately. I would say, I think in the context that this person meant this, um, I would say it's slightly debuffed. You really only see this style in like episodic games, like those uh, Telltale games where they're like um, a narrative story, a decision-based story, an interactive story kind of thing. And I haven't really seen it work for any other games uh, like that, and let's be honest, Telltale doesn't exist anymore or went out of business, right? Like, they don't make those games anymore. This is the part where <laughs> I wish I could do research during this, because I'm pretty sure they went out of business, and I don't know if it's because their games weren't selling or something else, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's a great business strategy. I think, um, DLC is one thing, and maybe that's, you know, different than this. But splitting the game into different pieces uh, just to sell them separately, even as like a discount or something like that, you're almost better off doing uh, it in large portions, like an early access demo, uh, selling access to the early access, or doing DLC. But I don't know if even splits and um, having like maybe even modular pieces to a game uh, yeah, I just don't know if that works. So for that, I think it's slightly debuffed. The next topic is the real-time strategy genre. And I really want to do like an episode about real-time strategy, maybe some kind of genre study or something like that. And I want to talk about why I think it was so popular at the time it was and why it's kind of fallen off. I think in its current state, real-time strategy is slightly debuffed and it hurts me to say that because I grew up with real-time strategy games like Age of Empires, Age of Mythology, Empire Earth. I loved those games as a kid. If we're looking at the games now, they're definitely, you know, some people might call it a dead genre. It's just not really something that's popular. And as an indie dev, I don't see myself making a real-time strategy game because... Yeah, I just, I need to make money, and that's not what people really are interested in right now. So yeah, for that, real-time strategy is slightly debuffed, heartbreakingly debuffed. The next topic is game remasters. I think remasters can be slightly buffed, so long as there's actual effort put into remastering them, and it's not just a re-release for a cash grab. I think myself, I prefer remakes because... I don't know, I think we saw it with like the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Like, those battle mechanics and just the way the game was, I don't think would work in whenever the newest one came out. The remake came out, which was, you know, within the last year or two. I don't think it works in modern times. Maybe I'm wrong about that. It's been a really long time since I've played the old Final Fantasy VII. But yeah, I guess in general I'm more of a fan of remakes rather than remasters that wasn't the question. The question was about remasters. I think they're slightly buffed so long as it's an honest attempt to improve the game 
and not just a quick re sale and I don't know, a way to make money off a game a second time. The next topic is Discord leaderboards. And this is like leaderboards that are integrated within your game. Um, things that might like ping everyone in the Discord and say there's a new high score or something like that. I think this idea is really interesting and it's actually a similar system to what I built for my game Bounce Shot. As far as the Discord community, well, I say I built it, but I hired someone to build a Discord bot to kind of have like a team leaderboard kind of thing going on split between two teams and I was going to split the Discord members. The problem is, is that the Discord community never really grew to the size I needed to make the games um, competitive or interesting. And I think that speaks to like... A larger idea for indie devs. Um, Discord leaderboards are a really cool feature, but you should only implement cool features when you actually need them and have a purpose for them. If you're just implementing cool features for the sake of it being cool, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse or whatever that saying is. So yeah, Discord leaderboards, I think, I don't know, I think they're slightly buffed so long as you have the community to support it. Okay, the next topic is Forager graphics, and this is from the game Forager, uh, which I didn't know about, so I did have to look this up. And it looks sort of like, I don't know, I'm, I'm literally looking at the image right now. It's sort of, I don't know, low-resolution pixel art that's extremely colorful. I guess if you want my, like, right-now opinion of it, I think this art style, I don't know, I think it works... I won't say that I love it, but I know that people will appreciate its sort of simple and bright aesthetic. So yeah, I guess I would say it's slightly buffed. I think it's definitely workable. The next topic we have is blockchain payments within video games, and the poster made sure to uh, stipulate they mean specifically blockchain payments as an alternative to things like paying with your credit card. Again, I think... Like, looking at this from an indie dev standpoint, um, it's a cool feature, and more options are always good, but how many people are actually going to use this feature? Like, I myself own cryptocurrency, but I can't see myself ever using a blockchain payment system rather than just my credit card uh, to buy, like, skins in a game or something, at least not right now. And I think one thing that people get wrong about blockchain is um, in general like crypto assets I don't think have a very good usability for people who are not like super into it you know what I mean like to give you an example uh, if you have a wallet like a, a Bitcoin wallet or something like that and keep in mind I, I know like the bare minimum of this stuff but when you have that and you lose your password to that or you accidentally give it to someone else or something like that, you're kind of just out all of your money with no other way for someone to back it up or anything. Like there's no customer support. So if I buy a skin that I don't like or if I was scammed in a game for a skin or something like that, there's no way to get the money back or be like, I regret this purchase and don't need it. And so, yeah, it's really, like, user-unfriendly. It's not intuitive. And while I try to be an optimist about, like, the future of blockchain technology's place in video games, 
Um, right now, I don't see it replacing payments, and I would say it's probably debuffed. And lastly, we have pachinko-style video games. If you don't know what pachinko is, it's that thing where like you have a bunch of pegs on the screen and you drop a ball from the top and the ball bounces off of all the pegs and hits stuff and you get more points for sort of the random bounces. There's a really popular indie game out right now called Peglin, which is like a pachinko roguelite game. And I think it's a really interesting um, idea of like this combination between two genres. But I don't know if I really like the pachinko-style game. There's too much randomness to it for me to feel like I'm in control. But at the same time, people love slot machines. And you basically have no control in slot machines. So this is somewhere on the spectrum of, you know, closer to slot machines, but not quite a full strategy game. So yeah, I'm sure there can be fun here, and pachinko games can be fun. They don't personally interest me. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a slight buff to experimenting with a genre that maybe flies under the radar a little bit, at least in the United States. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's buff debuff segment. Uh, if you have a good idea for a buff debuff, you can let me know by submitting your thoughts to the buff debuff channel on the game dev field guide community discord. With that out of the way, let's move on over to our second segment of the show. Our second segment is always a key thought uh, from a special guest, and today's special guest has some expertise in writing, which is something that I, in particular, am kind of weak at, and something you'll probably never hear me talk about in the main episodes of Game Dev Field Guide, at least not really in the depth that someone like our guest today can talk about. So yeah, if you've ever been curious about uh, maybe some tips for the creative writing side of video games, I think you'll really like today's segment. So everyone, would you please welcome our guest, Jaluna Rolick. Hi everyone, and nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. I'm Jelena Rolick, a writer. I've loved stories for as long as I can remember, especially the ones my father made up for me at bedtime. They were always so inviting and enveloping. I felt like I was actually in them, and not just because he made me the main character almost every time. So when I learned to read and write, I started making up stories of my own. It became more than just a hobby very quickly. It was a lifestyle. I spent almost all my free time staring at the screen or a notebook writing all the words I could think of. While I started out writing short stories, then novels and screenplays, I always had another love. Video games. The games I played always had enticing stories and characters. Okay, most of them had enticing plots and characters. I don't play Tetris for the storyline, at least not like I do RPG simulators. In my late 20s, I started trying to make games of my own, and eventually I found a like and creative community. Some people even saw my regular writing and asked me to do some work for their games. That is, in fact, how I got into writing for games professionally in the first place. Now, I'm working on multiple games at a time, not including my personal projects. I'm still learning something new every day about game development, but today, I'm going to share with you some of the basics I've learned to date. For starters, there's lots to think about when you're working on a new project. What kind of writing will be involved? Will it include a story and characters? or maybe just instructions on how to play? If there's an inventory system, you'll likely need favor text for it as well. 
Do you want that to be humorous or serious? You also need to know if there's going to be dialogue. Most game writers I know write dialogue using a script or playwriting format. If this is foreign to you, you might want to do some quick research. Of course, not everyone prefers to go this route, but it is the one I see the most often. So I figured I would note that for you. Knowing the type of writing you need is just the first step, however. As you delve deeper, you're going to want to know even more. What is the motivation and goal of the player? And how will you tell them that? If there are characters involved, what kind of dynamics will they have? What kind of subject matter is acceptable or taboo? These are all things you'll need to prepare to flesh out. Knowing your material is the first step towards easier writing and less editing after the first draft is done. I was recently asked an interesting question or three by a new writer. The first question was, Zaluna, how do I make my writing good and interesting to read? My answer was very simple. Variety. Variety is the spice of life, and so too is it the spice of something interesting to read. Don't use the same number of syllables or words for every sentence, and try not to overuse the same word or fern over and over. If you catch yourself saying a word repetitively in a paragraph or project in general, pull out your trusty thesaurus. As a friend told me, writing words is a lot like writing music. With variation in the tempo of what you're reading, it'll be more enjoyable and interesting to the reader. Another question I get asked a lot is where to find inspiration. The truth is there's not just one answer for that issue. Many writers will tell you to read and read often. There's certainly truth in this, but one thing to keep in mind is that we're writing for something that isn't the same as a book. I've often heard writers tell each other to read the same genre that they want to write for ideas and understanding of common tropes. Well, the same goes for games. Play games, both ones that are similar to your project, but also just ones that you genuinely enjoy, since sometimes those two genres won't match. Look carefully at how things are written, what information is included, and things of that nature. You can get ideas from virtually everywhere around you, though. Reading is still fun and rewards you with creative guidelines, but sometimes the best thing I can do when I hit a block is go outside. Fresh air is important for the body, and what's important for the body is important for the mind. As a bonus, going outside lets you hear all sorts of things and see things not in your usual range. Sometimes, since I work by a window, it just so happens, I just watch and listen through it to get inspiration for character designs and conversation ideas. Of course, some people come up with another problem, one I've had a lot over the years. Too many ideas. Someone close to me taught me that one of the best ways to make a decision in your writing can be using the quote-unquote, random number god. Whether you flip a coin or roll a die, using chance can give you a great sense of what you want. After all, it's hard to know you have a preference sometimes. But when you keep getting heads and wishing for it to be tails over and over, that kind of tells you that you do have a preference. And if you don't, well, just go with that heads then. The next thing I'd like to point out, I was a bit skeptical about including. But it really does help me a lot. You see, some projects require more than one writer. Cooperative writing can be quite difficult if you're new to it. That's why I feel lucky that I've been practicing it for more than half my life, via role-playing. When role-playing, two or more writers take turns writing from specific character perspectives. It can be great fun if it happens to be your thing, but even if it's not, it's a good way to get to know your characters and your writing partners.
So even if you keep it to your team, I personally think it can be a great tool for getting started. And I would use it whenever it fits your writing goals or your requirements. Of course, knowing your characters is of great importance. The same can be said for your storyline. There are all sorts of ways to get to know these two key aspects of it, of many games. For storyline, a basic timeline usually works, at least for me at the start. It can be a simple bulleted list of things to include. For characters though, I'm the type of writer that wants to know absolutely everything about them. A fun way to get to know them for me is questionnaires. Remember those about me surveys people do from time to time, listing their favorite things and some memories and all that jazz? Fill those out for your characters. You see, you never know what kind of information can be useful in your game. You'd be surprised how randomly a topic can suddenly come up during NPC conversations. You may think not knowing their favorite drink is fine, but suddenly you find yourself writing a tavern cutscene where you need to know what they'd order. Getting to know them as individuals also makes it easier to relate to them. And then, your players will also be able to relate to them. And trust me, you want your audience to relate to the characters. If they don't, they often get disenchanted and less absorbed in the story. I know that happens for me all the time in games with poor character development. There's one final note I'd like to make before wrapping up. I don't want to take too much of your time after all, but remember to look carefully at the cliches and tropes you're using in your writing. Sometimes, it's okay to have a cliche mixed in. But make sure it's done in a way that fits the story and makes it interesting and different. If you use a cliche in a way that it's used way too often, the likelihood is it won't go unnoticed and will probably lower player interest or frustrate them enough they may move on to another game. We don't want that, right? Try to be creative with tropes and cliches. Do your research before you use them. If you do them the right way, they can enhance your work tremendously. But it's a fine line, so be aware of that. I know I've given you a lot to think about, and there's probably a lot more I could say, but I think these fundamentals should give you some good headway into the art of writing for games. There are many aspects to game design, and many facets within these. Get to know your game first, then figure out what you need to do from there. That's really the best advice I can give you. Still, I hope you gained something from all these topics I mentioned. With any luck, I have given you some new tools for your toolbox. But with all that said, it's time for me to let you go. Juno Rolex signing off. Have a good day, everyone. I wish all your projects the best. And there you have it. A wonderful creative writing primer for video games done by Jaluna Rolick. I think specifically, um, this is why it's so good having people from different backgrounds come on the show for these bonus episodes. The tip she mentioned about doing a questionnaire survey uh, for your characters so that you really get to know them. And if you know them, then your players can know them too and they can feel like, I don't know, like they can interact with them. That is such a smart and practical tip and not something I would have ever been able to tell you in a regular episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. So big thank you to Jaluna for coming on the show. If you'd like to hear more from her or just see what she's up to, you can follow her on Twitter at Juneberry Chan. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes or the description or the text part that comes with your episode, whatever you're listening to this on. 
But yeah, again, that's Jaluna Rolick on Twitter, and her at is at Juneberry Chan. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm also on Twitter, at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. And don't forget about the community Discord we have. Um, There's an open invite link to that in the show notes. So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Game Dev Field Guide.